Let me invite you guys to open your Bibles to John chapter 5, the Gospel of John chapter 5. If you come and you don't have a Bible today, feel free to grab one of the Bibles you find at the end of the row. And if you don't own a Bible, feel free to take that as a gift from us. We'd love for you to have it. We're back in our series of uh, the Christ who satisfies in the book of John, looking at who Jesus is and what he's done. And boy, already in first four chapters, it's been extraordinary as we've seen Jesus' uh, ministry expand. And in fact, in John chapter four, this ministry has a shocking effect in that Jesus goes into a place, an unexpected place with unexpected people, with Samaritans, as uh, we've preached about in the last few weeks and month. And he goes in and he not only impacts a Samaritan woman, but he impacts a whole Samaritan community in Sychar so that they're transformed. Now, we're going to look in particular at how Jesus offers physical and spiritual health to another unexpected person here in John 5 as he ends up in Jerusalem. Listen to the reading of God's word from John chapter 5. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I'm going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is a Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. But afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Jesus, center our heart, as Josh has already prayed, that we may get to know you a little better today, know your ways and know you even more intimately. Uh, Speak through me, as I need your gospel and your spirit as much as anyone. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Most of you know that... um, Elizabeth and I have two kids. They're grown, one's in college, one's just out of college. And, and, you know, raising kids is always an adventure. Those first years, your biggest goal is to keep them from killing themselves, usually, right? Uh, but it's not only that, that shows up even in teenage years, and I got a story to go with that regarding my own son, Mitchell. So uh, just a few years ago, I got one of those phone calls in the middle of the school day from the school office that, that you sometimes get as a parent of a teenage boy, and it, went, it came from a woman who was actually an administrator at their high school. Uh, she was actually a member of our church over in Union County, and she called me and said, hey, Dean, how you doing? I'm like, I'm all right. What's going on? And uh, Amy, that was her name, said, so Mitchell's had an incident. And I was like, oh, that doesn't sound good. 
said, yes, so here's, what's, here's what happened. You should know that Mitchell's doing okay, and Elizabeth, who worked at the school, is also doing okay. And I'm like, okay. She said, so between uh, school periods, Mitchell and a friend of his were out uh, goofing around and pl- horsing around and playing with each other uh, in the common area, in the grassy area there at the school. And while they were horsing around, uh, his friend picked up one of those signs like you put in the front of your yard with elections, and it has these little rods that go down on the ground. Well, he threw it at Mitch. Mitch, at the same time as the guy was throwing it at him, was running away, slipped and fell so that one of the rods went directly into his thigh all the way to the bone. I was like, okay. She said, you should know he's okay. Uh, the ambulance and the fire department came, and uh, everybody kind of got a kick out of it. And Mitch is in decent spirits, but they're at the hospital in the emergency room. And she said, you probably want to go down and see him. So i like, all right. So I hung up the phone, and my head started spinning. I'm running for the car, and I'm going, what does this mean? On the one hand, what does it mean for my son to have a rod in his leg? What does that mean in terms of his health or even long term? And you got to know, I'm one of those soccer dads. My son was playing soccer. He was in a state playoff team. They were about to have a state playoff the next day. He's a starting goalie, and I'm going, what's it going to do to his playing that game? So I got in the car and went to the hospital. But I was a little haunted by what does this mean in terms of his well-being for the long run? I don't know what to expect. We'll talk more about Mitch a little later on in the sermon. But this brings us around to the big question that we're going to look at in our text today. As uh, we're going to look at a guy whose well-being was in question for many, many years. And we're going to look at how Jesus interacts with the physically disabled folks of his time and the physically broken. And we're going to find out that Jesus not only cares for the physically broken, but he cares for a whole lot more than that when it comes to to our wellness in body and soul. So here's our question for the day. What kind of wellness can Jesus bring to the physically broken? And what is real health, according to Jesus, over and against even what others would say health was in Jesus' time? You'll find the answer in our bulletin today, and the answers that come around Jesus offers wellness of the body. Jesus urges a spiritual wellness of the soul And next week, we'll talk about the third point, how men object to Jesus' kinds of wellness because we just don't have enough time to get there today. So let's start in John 5 and look at how Jesus offers wellness to the body in the very first part of our text. So just to catch us up, Jesus has been busy ministering, reaching out to broken people like Samaritans uh, who were despised by the Jews. He even, prior to this chapter, actually heals someone, an official son up in Cana, in uh, John chapter 4 at the end there. He's been in the north of Galilee, but our text tells us that he decides once again to go south because that's uh, where he uh, wants to do some ministry. So look at those verses with me, those first how he does this. It says this, after this there was a feast of the Jews. Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And Jerusalem, uh, by, uh, there, it, it, uh, excuse me, there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. And one man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he'd already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? And the sick man 
answered him. So Jesus is back in Jerusalem. Remember, he's a good Jew. And he's back in Jerusalem for a reason, because he's obeying the law of God, worshiping in one of the uh, dedicated um, feasts that happen throughout the year that good Jews practice according to the law of God. Now, when he gets there, there are apparently, both then and we have uh, archaeological evidence now, a set of pools there. And these were not small pools. They were right outside uh, the temple walls, and they were called the pools of Bethesda. They were big, like we're talking Olympic-sized pools. If you've ever been to the Mac and seen how big they are, they're that kind of big of a pool. And apparently they had uh, colonnades around them, uh, overhangs where people would hang out, including the invalids. And the invalids were those who were disabled in that time, and they were there for a reason. They were looking for healing for their disabilities. Now let me stop right here and make a note that if some of you were paying attention a little bit to the numbers in our text as we were reading through, you probably saw that there was a missing verse. Verse 4 was missing in our text. In fact, another half of verse 3 is also missing as well. And it's missing in the ESV for a reason, while it may show up in other texts uh, that you may have in your hands right now. And here's the reason it's missing in the ESV. We have ample evidence to show that the, verse, the second half of verse 3 and verse 4 were actually not in the original manuscripts and early copies uh, that were given of the book of John. In other words, what happens often, you've got to remember, they didn't have printers or copiers back in the first century. They hand-wrote and hand-copied everything, often in very uh, detailed ways, some less, though than, some less so than others. So sometimes people make little notes on the side, and uh, those little notes would sometimes make their way into the text themselves, and people would confuse it at, as the actual text. In this case, we, there was a little note, apparently, that uh, had a popular belief that angels would come and stir the pool around Bethesda, and that the first one who wanted to be healed that went in the pool would actually be healed in the process. So, the text, in light of that, directs our attention to one invalid, one disabled guy in particular, and this, it tells us he'd been paralyzed 38 years. I mean, that's a long, long time. He was desperate to get in the water and be healed uh, from his disability. But according to verse 6, Jesus walks up. And there are all these invalids, all these people around the pools. And he targets this guy in particular at Bethesda. And two things happen. It says he saw the man and he knew his issues and his story. He saw him and he knew his story. And by the way, this knowing is likely a divine knowing of his story, like the rest of John tells us in Christ knowing people and their ways. Jesus then asks him, when he targets him, he he asks him uh, to test him the extent of his desire. He asks him this really penetrating question, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? Now the man basically says, yeah, I've been waiting 38 years for this. But the problem is I can't get in the pool, as popular belief had it in that time, so that I can be healed when the angel stirs the water. Now, we don't necessarily believe that the angel stirred the water and will be healed, but that was the popular belief at the time. What, what the man is basically saying is, yeah, I need help. I need someone to help me. 
So Jesus then commands the man to do three things. He says, get up, take up your mat, and walk. So the man does exactly that. He gets up and walks for the first time in 38 years. I mean, can you imagine what that was like? If you'd been, you couldn't move on your own, you had to have help to do that for 38 years, and here he's up and walking. This is what we call a true miracle, a miracle from Jesus. What's going on here that we can highlight in the text? Well, a few things are going on in this miraculous moment. And the first is this. Did you notice how Jesus targeted one man, one man out of all the sick people in the pool? Now, you've got to know this about Jesus and his ministry. He went all around Judea and Galilee, and he saw and healed a lot of people. But he didn't heal everybody. He healed those whom he healed which shows God is in control and has a plan according to how he heals people. In our case, and to our surprise, he targets a man who doesn't even know who he is. Did you notice that in the rest of the text? Later on, it says that God doesn't even know Jesus' name or who he is, but Jesus targets him, which goes to show how Jesus is generous to people who don't even necessarily believe in him. He's kind to them. Most, when, the beautiful part about this whole thing is when most people write this man off, Jesus reaches out to him and cares for him. Christ clearly cares for the forgotten, the marginalized, those who are put aside, like in this case, this physically disabled man. He has mercy. He has kindness for the broken who are desperate. And he even cares for those who don't necessarily follow him. Next, it says in our text, that Jesus healed him at once. This is the language of supernatural healing. Now, what can we say about healings in the Bible? They show up all over the Bible, and particularly during Jesus' ministry. We well, understand healings serve a few purposes. They were usually signs for people in that time to take that person who exhibited that sign seriously in what they said. So if somebody did a miracle, that would be a way for, some, for, people to, for God to say, hey, pay attention to what this guy has to say. In this case, the healing has yet another purpose. It reveals something about Jesus. It reveals something about him. And it reveals this. He has the authority and lordship over every kind of sickness imaginable. Even that, in this case, which seems unhealable in paralysis. The beauty of this is uh, we learn from this text that Jesus is the healer, the great physician. He's a life giver. He's a life giver that can speak with a word and bring restoration to a body. Just with a word, he can bring restoration. Speaking a word that gives life. Where have we heard that before? I don't know, you read that in the first chapters of the Bible, Genesis 1 and 2, God speaking life into the world. Here, Jesus reveals who he is. He's God in the flesh, the Son of God, speaking life into someone's uh, brokenness and physical ailment. And the beauty of what Jesus is revealing about himself here is he really is eager to care for people. He wants to lean in. He's eager to care for people who in some cases are overwhelmed by their terminal sickness. The beauty of what this says is with his authority and mercy and kindness, Jesus isn't overwhelmed by terminal cases. 
He is the Son of God, able to overcome things. Now, at this point, uh, we may have a problem. As we talk about miracles and Jesus having the authority to heal disease in his time, because in our time, we don't necessarily want to think about miracles. It's uh, something that uh, can sometimes be troubling for us in an age of science, in an age of doubt. And I have to say, what you have to understand about miracles that we understand as Christians is that they actually are rare, otherwise they wouldn't be miracles. But here's the thing. We Christians do believe that the universe isn't a closed system. That that is, God actually gets involved at points in history and does great things, even healing people. And when we ever have these latent doubts about miracles, here's what I would ask you. I would ask you is this, why would you be so sure that there aren't miracles when there could be a God who created DNA, who created the human body, and could actually repair it even with a word? Even more, what would you base your doubts on miracles on? Mere science? Hey, I got to tell you, I'm an electrical engineer by trade. I believe in science. I love science. But I also know that science changes its mind about things all the time and paradigm shifts very regularly. Do you really want to base every thought you have on science as the final authority? We think Jesus is the final authority because he was the son of God. He was able to heal when no one else could heal even in that time. What's this got to do with all of us here? What can we apply with these, this miracle talk of Jesus healing? Well, it's kind of three applications I'd like you to consider coming out of this uh, healing. And the, there are three Ps. I'm going to be a preacher here, all right, for a second. Three Ps, purpose, prayer, and posterity is what we want to take into account around Jesus and his healings. And the first application is this around purpose, the why of sickness. When we get sick, when people we love get sick, and particularly when it's some kind of chronic or even dangerous disease, you should normally assume that sickness comes because of the cosmic effect of sin, not necessarily personal sin. Now, unless there's a clear cause and effect with personal sin, we'll talk about later, and sickness, which we will talk about later, don't quickly jump to the purpose of sickness being God's punishment. Cancer. Accidents, other things occur sometimes without any real explanation. God certainly has a reason for sickness and pain. We're going to get to that when we talk about it in John chapter 9. However, uh, personal sin isn't always the cause of sickness and health issues. Let me put it this way. Sickness is not sin. It's a consequence of living in a broken, sinful world. Second application is prayer. Prayer. We in the evangelical and reformed world believe that God still heals people miraculously. We believe he no longer does it through people like the apostles because they had the sign and the gift of miracles uh, to prove that they spoke with authority the word of God. But we do believe that God does it through prayer, that God does it through the prayer of his people. It is okay and good to ask for healing. Remember, God likes it when we ask him for things. He wants us to ask as his father. And most times, he wants us to pursue healing through regular, ordinary means. Go to the doctor. 
That's what he's provided for us is good medical care. I mean, we have fabulous medical care in our time. It's amazing what God has done through that. But sometimes even medical care can't take care of what our struggles are. Therefore, we can and should ask God for supernatural healing when we're dealing with dangerous diseases, when we're dealing with unhealed health crises, even when medicine isn't enough. I have a friend named David, and I was his pastor at my prior church for many years. About eight, ten years ago, David retired from work, and I remember him telling me that he looked forward to retiring so he could spend more time with his grandchildren and hang out with them and do fun things with them. But it wasn't long, a few years after David retired, he got a, a doctor's report that wasn't, was pretty scary, actually. He heard that word, cancer. And even more, it was called, it was pancreatic cancer. Now, I don't know if you guys know much about cancer, but pancreatic is a particularly brutal and incurable form of cancer that really is dangerous. So David, with great courage, decided that he would try every medical means possible. And he, and he uh, went in the hospital, and he, part, uh, he actually uh, engaged in something called a real kind of fancy surgery called Whipple uh, surgery, the Whipple procedure, which really cuts out part of the pancreas and changes all the plumbing inside. It's pretty wild what they did. For, I would say, four to six weeks, David was in the hospital after that. And he was on the edge. I mean, he was on the edge of death. Uh, we were all praying at our church really hard for David, and we were praying a lot. We were nervous about his future. One day it was so bad, I, as his pastor, went to him, sat at his bedside, and I said, David, I want you to know something, buddy. It's okay if you need to die. <laughs> I have to have conversations with people like that sometimes. I said, You know the Lord. We know what your future is. It's okay if you need to die. I kid you not, within one week, David is up, walking around. David is engaging with people. Not, I bet a year or so later, he buys a business. He starts running this little small business. David is just engaged, and to this day, he is active in life and playing with his grandkids just like he had hoped and dreamed. And folks, I think God used the gift of modern medicine, but I'll tell you, I think God healed him. Pancreatic cancer is a major deal. There is an example of how God works in people's lives, and in David's life in particular. What we have to note is that when God heals us in small ways and big ways, we shouldn't miss the opportunity to see Christ in that moment, to see him engaging us to give us wellness both of body and of soul. So, Jesus is Lord over sickness. He gives us wellness in our bodies, even through healing. Now, we just need to stop and see what he's about in that process. But you've got to understand, the man in our text, he didn't stop and see what Jesus is about in the process. Did you notice? He almost missed Jesus entirely in the whole thing. He was so blown away by being able to walk that... Uh, he, he was just walking around Jerusalem and being seen by people, and Jesus quietly slips away. He heals the man. There's no fanfare, just love, service, even anonymity. And look what happens next in verse 9 of our text. Look what happens after this. It says this, 
At once the man was healed, he took up his bed and walked. And Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it's the Sabbath and not lawful for you to take up your bed. Now we're going to talk about that later next week. But he, that is the man, answered, the man who healed me, that man who said to me, take up your bed and walk, they, they asked him, well, who is that man who said that, take up your bed and walk? And the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn. And there was a crowd in a Jerusalem. So here's what happens. The healed man's walking around Jerusalem. He has his bed and his mat in his hand. This catches the attention of the Jews. Probably the Jewish leaders and that they had that the people had to live up to. We'll talk again more about that week. They ask him, hey, what are you doing carrying around your mat? That's work. And in this case, the man then throws Jesus under the bus and says, hey, that guy, he's the one who told me to carry my mat. (laughs) And then he says, I don't know his name. I don't know who he is. The man shows up at the temple. Jesus is there. He meets Jesus at the temple. And when they meet up, Jesus engages him and he celebrates with him. Hey, see, you're well. Hey, this is great. Celebrate. But then... Jesus turns in a surprising way with an exhortation to the man. And he says this. He says, sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. What is Jesus saying? What is he talking about? Well, here's what Jesus is doing. He's talking about wellness, not just of the body, but of the soul. Of what goes on inside with us. True wellness actually happens from the inside and out. Let's unpack what Jesus is talking about in particular. First, Jesus seems to be saying something about the cause of this man's paralysis. Now, remember I told you back, whenever you go through suffering or sickness, don't automatically assume that it's punishment from God. Remember I told you that earlier? Well, guess what? I think in this case, it may have been that this guy's actions as a young man caused him to be uh, paralyzed. That seems to be the implication of what Jesus is saying to him, sin no more, or something worse will happen. Sometimes our physical suffering is the clear consequence of our actions. i give you an example. My dad, who became a Christian years ago, smoked cigarettes for 50 years of his life. As a result, in those last years of his life, he had something called COPD. It's a breathing disease, and he even had a touch of emphysema. It had everything to do with smoking 50 years. In this case, this guy had apparently done something in his life, we don't know what, that led to his paralysis. I mean, just as an aside, it could have been he was in one of those moments as a young man saying what what is the famous last words of a redneck. Hey, guys, watch this. Okay, yeah, you like that, I'm sure. Jesus is calling this man to sin no more. Or something worse could come. And the something worse is an allusion to the suffering that goes with our bodies and our souls in hell. What Jesus is doing is calling this man to take care of his soul. And when he says, sin no more, he's saying, repent. Don't live that way anymore. This is another purpose of physical healing in our lives. They point to our spiritual Disability. When you have a physical disability, it merely points to our spiritual disability and our need for spiritual healing. Take, for example, if you look at Jesus' healing of the blind or the deaf throughout the Gospels, what you'll find is always it's tied to someone in the next verses 
who needs healing spiritually because they're spiritually blind or deaf. We need that too. We need spiritual healing according to Jesus. Now the way to that spiritual healing is repentance. Now repentance is an, a forgotten piece of following Jesus, but it is how we obtain spiritual wellness in our lives. Sin gets in our hearts, and in our lives, and it corrupts us. It pollutes us. And as a result, we're unable to follow God and unable to ever please him. What we need is Christ to heal us spiritually. And by doing that, Jesus calls us to give up sin and get rid of what makes us, what makes us uh, unholy from the inside out. Let me remind you, what is repentance? Repentance is a life of walking away from, uh, where you're walking away from God and you actually turn and walk towards Christ and follow him. That's the idea of repentance. It's a turning in the ways we do things. And that turning comes in confession of sin. This is one of the characteristics. You confess your sin. You actually say, I did it. Now here, let me tell you what, what confession of sin in American evangelical and even America is like, okay, yeah, I'm sorry. And that's it. But real confession says, I'm the man. I did it. I offended God and I offended you. I'm sorry. I, I, I deserve uh, punishment for what I do. Have mercy on me. That's the language of, of repentance. Not only that, repentance has the language of hatred. Like you go from hating sin, not just hating yourself. And let me clarify that. That's what a lot of us do in America. We're functional works righteousness in how we handle things. We'll hate ourselves bad, bad dean for doing things when in point of fact, God doesn't want you doing that. He wants you hating the behavior. He wants you hating the heart attitude. He wants you hating the idol. Don't hate yourself. The result of hating, confessing, and some other things you can spend time on is you turn and you follow Jesus in a new way in how you live. That's what repentance and sinning no more is all about in our text. Jesus is calling this man to that very thing. But I gotta ask, how does that work in the end? Even our repentance doesn't fix us in many ways. It's something bigger that has to change our hearts so that we have healing. I would like to suggest to you that internal wellness, internal healing, comes through an ironic thing. Death. The death of Jesus Christ on a cross for you and for me. Jesus' death on the cross was what we call the atonement. And the atonement is the way God saves us. He brings us at one with himself in relationship. Christ shed his blood for every sin that you and I could ever do in our lives. And once and for all, we are forgiven in him. Jesus is the final substitute. And because of that, you and I can be assured that when we turn, we will be loved by Jesus. Now, let me give you two applications for this. First application is this. Forgiveness of sins is available for any who call on the Lord. If you receive Christ and turn to him in faith and repentance, he offers forgiveness, not just in the abstract, but in the reality with God. The cross of Christ is sufficient to cover the worst that you and I bring to the table. In fact, I would suggest this. When Jesus is looking into our world, he sees you. 
He knows you just like he saw and he knew this man in our text. He sees and knows everything about you. And you and I, well, we like to pretend like we don't have issues, but he sees everything and he's eager to forgive. That's why he came to die for you and for me. Receive that. Receive that from Christ by faith and rest on that alone. Even more practically, rest in the fact not only Jesus died, but he was resurrected. And that is our ultimate hope that you can trust in him. Our ultimate hope is we're not dealing with a dead Christ or a dead prophet who spoke a long time ago a bunch of inspirational words. We're talking about a living Lord who's living right now and who can give you life because he has the power to overcome it in any way imaginable that you and I could think of. Jesus has the power to give life in every circumstance in your life. With your marriage, when it think it's suffering and it feels dead, in your heart when you feel far from God, in your vocation when you feel like, I don't know where I'm going, Jesus can bring life and bring healing even in your soul with a new direction. That brings us back to our story. Last we left Mitch, he was in the emergency room. When I got there, he was laying on the table with a thin pole about this long in his and his calf. And you know, whenever you get a puncture wound like that, don't yank it out. You've got to wait to get the doctor before you yank it out. So he's lying there. And uh, he had little or no bleeding. That was good news. And uh, apparently it went right down to the bone, which was a little scary. So for five minutes, everyone, the doctors and nurses, came together as the doctor actually pulled this thing out of his leg. They numbed the area, pulled it out, and it left this nice little hole in his leg. <laughs> um, I am told that uh, Mitchell, uh, well, I can tell you this, when it comes to Mitchell's attitude, well, he's my son, which would mean he was laughing the whole time. He was uh, having a ball. And I am told that uh, his friends at school took pictures of him and, and posted it on Twitter with him with the pole in his leg. And he did trend for a little while on Twitter as a result that day. But having all the fun that went on, I'm pleased to also say that everything came together through the doctor's fine care. He healed, self-healed really quickly. He was back playing soccer in a few days, went to the state playoffs, went to the quarterfinals. It was a good season for him and for his team. Mitch's story in this case has a happy ending with quick healing through good medical care. But I'd submit to you that Christ the great physician resurrected and crucified for you has the authority and power to heal our bodies and our souls. He sees you. He knows you. He sees you and knows you, and he wants you to look to him for the real healing that all, in all, all you and I both need for all that's in our lives. Let's go to him and pray now. Jesus, when we come to the table now, we ask you to um, open our hearts, open our minds. That we, as we come to the table, would think on the brokenness that's in our lives. Because all of us, when we talk about sin in church, have something that we feel guilty about, something we feel ashamed about. But we ask you even now as we come to the table, that we would encounter you as you see us and you know us. And as you, as you ask us that penetrating question, do you want to be healed? Thank you, Lord, that um, you heal both physically, but even in our souls. Help us to come to you seeking forgiveness now in Christ's name. Amen.